And what's wild is that Jesus actually said that it would be better if he went away so that we would have the spirit, which sounds so bizarre to us. We're like, what could be better than Jesus? And Jesus himself said the spirit, (laughs) his presence with us, um, because he makes us like him. He comforts us. He talks to us. He speaks to us. He leads us. You know, when Christians don't talk about the Holy Spirit, it makes perfect sense why people leave the church for the new age because Christianity without the Holy Spirit is powerless and boring and doesn't accomplish anything. And so people end up seeking a spiritual replacement because we've removed the spiritual from a spiritual faith. (laughs) If it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out, then Queen we have a few questions to ask and a few conversations to have. I am your host, Liv Dooley, and I cannot wait to introduce you to some of the women who inspire me to fall more deeply in love with the Word of God and walk in integrity in new ways every day. I am so grateful that you're here. Let's go on and get to work. Hey y'all, it's me Liv and I'm so incredibly grateful that you are here for yet another episode of The Best Kept Secret. It is season five. And can I tell you that I did not envision any of this when I first set out to start podcasting. (laughs) None of it. Nope. I didn't even know if we'd still be around by now, to be honest. It was something that I felt the Lord calling me to do. But if you listen back to those first few episodes, you already know your girl did not have a plan at all. In fact, I had to take the summer off because I did not have a plan and it was painfully clear. And I decided to go on and pray even more intentionally beyond that which I'd done for the name, beyond the prayer that I'd done for the theme, and really just ask the Lord what he wanted to do with this podcast. Y'all, he continues to reveal different layers of it and I cannot get over his goodness his faithfulness, his kindness, his love. And we're going to be talking about that today. You know, TGC reported that Gen Z is less likely to read their Bibles than any other generation. Their their conceptions of religion come from the media. And yet 60% of teenagers, according to Barna, still want to know about Jesus. Now, between the ages of 13 and 18, They are skeptical of evangelism, but they do engage in deep personal peer-to-peer conversations. And that shows us how important discipleship is. It cannot be held in isolation from a pulpit. It cannot be held in isolation from even a small group. There are times where we are going to have to do life with others and invite them to do life with us. But that is going to require us to rise up to a new level of integrity. And can I tell y'all that I have had a few conversations with my sisters and I have had to let them know, I feel as if I am going through open heart surgery. (laughs) 
as I study more and more about integrity. So if there is anything that I ever share or that any of our guests ever say that prick your heart, I do want to invite you to lean into that because I believe that it is here that the Lord is going to take us to deeper levels of intimacy with him that's going to overflow into the relationships that we have with others and then lead them closer to him as well. It's my prayer that that's what happens. You know, integrity is about wholeness. It's about being integrated. It's about enjoying wholeness in every part of your life. And if you're like me, there are a few places that are out of alignment. We are here this season to pray about that. We're here this season to expose those areas. We're here this season to learn from other women because we have got to get that thing under control. It's here that we are going to go deeper into this conversation where we're going to invite the Lord to expose areas that he is yet maturing us in and where we are going to lean into conversations as we get raw and real with our guests and ask them to speak into some of those areas of inconsistencies within our lives. Second Corinthians three verses two through three in the new living translation reads, the only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. Generation Z may be less likely to read their Bibles than any other generation but they still want to know about Jesus. What are they reading? Sis, they're reading your life. They're reading my life. They're listening to the conversations that we're entertaining. They're paying attention to the music that we are listening to, to the things that we're doing even more than the words that we are speaking. Let's invite the spirit of the living God to continue to mold us, to make us integrated and trust that he will lead us into deeper relationships with those who want to know about him. I just want to pause for a moment there because when I think about some of the areas of inconsistency that I may have myself, I feel a new level of conviction to bring those areas before him. Hmm. 
It is that time, ladies, where my co-hosts, Tanya and I, have come to introduce you and shine a light on another woman you should know. If you're new to this segment, I want you to know this segment is new, so you might be wondering what is going on here. Well, we know some amazing women in our lives who are doing incredible work for the Lord that we think you should know. In every single episode, we are going to be shining a light on one of those women. You can nominate a woman in your own life whom you think we should know when you head into the show notes as well. But today, Tanya, today, girl, I just think everybody should know Frances Archer with Tara Benthamora Ministries. She has this amazing, amazing call from the Lord to help others grow in biblical understanding and apply God's word. And her website is absolutely beautiful. She offers free resources and this incredible blog called the Narrow Path Blog. But for those women who are in the Jackson, Mississippi area, you can also find intimate gatherings that she hosts there as well. Ooh, that is awesome. Oh my goodness. That is awesome. You know what? I just find it so amazing that God puts on the hearts of his women these ministry ideas to help support us, engage with his word, get to know him more teach us how to apply the scriptures that we know to our everyday lives like to our real life situation it's one thing to hear a verse it's another thing to know how to apply the verse and god is using so many women including francis archer to help us to learn how to apply the word of god and it's just so awesome i'm so excited to get to know her a little bit more i'm already um checked her website but definitely a woman you should know y'all yes yes We're linking everything in the show notes, and we hope that the resources she offers encourages your heart. I hope you enjoyed learning about Frances Austin Archer as much as I have getting to know her. She's doing incredible work in this world, and she is not the only one. You know, 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that we are to revere Christ as Lord in our hearts. And that word revere is translated as sanctify, as worship. And it means to hold him in esteem within our hearts. The New International Version continues to say, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but to do this with gentleness and respect. Felicia Masonheimer embodies this, and I cannot wait to introduce you to her. She grew up in a Christian home, but it wasn't until she was a teenager, and even later on beyond that, as we're going to learn today, that she really recognized what the gospel was meant to do. She sought answers to the tough questions that her peers were asking, and those questions were about everything, alcohol, dating, marriage, sex, politics. She started writing about what she'd 
discovered. And today, Felicia Masonheimer is a best-selling author, a speaker, the host of the podcast Verity, and the founder of Every Woman, a Theologian. She lives on a small farm in northern Michigan with her husband, Josh, and their three children. Will you please help me welcome Felicia Masonheimer to the best cat? All right, y'all, I am so ridiculously excited to introduce you to one of my friends who just uh, is doing such amazing work. Y'all, I have to tell you that I met her this past summer at a conference and I wasn't ready. I was not ready. And so she gets up there, she starts speaking and I am trying so hard to sit quietly in my seat and I can't, the amen start coming out. I'm like, yes. <laughs> she just spoke to my heart and gave me a word that I desperately needed. Cannot wait for you guys to meet her. Felicia, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm so glad to get to talk to you, Liv. I'm so excited about this. Oh my gosh, you have so many good things going on. And one of those is this brand new book that's coming out. Congratulations. <laughs> Are you excited? I am so excited because it's, you know, you, you write a lot about a lot of things when you're an author and blogger. And this is what I love. Like this book is the sum of all the things I enjoy. So <laughs> yes even more fun to write and to put into the world. Oh my gosh, it's been so fun to see the process and everything. You know, you start your book by sharing on a Tuesday in a brick cafe in Virginia, theology became essential. Can you tell us how you fell in love with the Lord in the study of God and his truth? So I was privileged to grow up in a home with Christian parents and they were very intentional Christian parents. So they definitely gave me a foundation, but as we all know, you have to own it for yourself. And I really struggled with that in my teens because I, I definitely wasn't a believer, even though I said a prayer at six, you know, I, I was, I was not a believer till I was 15. And so that's still pretty young, but through coming to the Lord and having to wrestle with what I actually believed and own it for myself in my teens. I think that really helped me appreciate the why behind Christianity. I was a child that just, I wanted to know why behind everything. I wanted to know the reason. And if there wasn't a good enough reason, it wasn't worth doing. <laughs> made me a difficult child to parent, but <laughs> in the end, it really served me well because the Lord was so patient to provide the people and the resources I needed to come to a faith that was that that honored my intellect. And I'm not saying I'm super smart. <laughs> what I'm saying is, you know, all people have an, an intellect or a reason, you know, and I think some people enjoy thinking through things more than others. And that was me. And God was just so compassionate to that in in providing resources for me to wrestle with what I believed. And so I ended up going to college to study religion. I had a career in higher education and I loved it. I did not plan to go into ministry. I just loved studying the Bible and breaking it down and sharing on my little blog what I found. 
And so I thought, well, if I already have a career, I don't really need a degree in anything specific. So I'll just, you know, I'm working for the university. So I'll just get a degree in Christian religion or, you know, biblical studies. So I did thinking I'm never going to use this, <laughs> this is like a, you know, a stepping stone. Maybe I get a master's for my higher education later, but ended up that the Lord just changed my path and my family's path. And now we are in full-time ministry and business. And it's been amazing to see just how many women we get to reach and how many women we get to talk to about learning not just what you believe, but why you believe it and how to communicate it well to your world. That is so important for sure, especially now more than ever. You know, I have been reading studies about Generation Z and how, although they are more spiritually open and inquisitive, they still have questions about Jesus, which is such good news. I honor the work that you're doing, not only for how it's blessed my life, but how it is helping us to really become more vocal about our faith and why we believe the things that we say we believe. I want to ask you if you can help us because you share that the Bible destroys our assumptions about God's character. And if there's one thing that we see in our culture, it is assumptions about God's character. Why is it important to make a regular practice to check what we believe with scripture? What have you found? That's such a good question. And I know you talk about this on your own platform frequently, because it's so important. Like we pick up these ideas about God from our parents and how we were parented or extended family, how we were raised. We pick it up from school. We pick it up from our own struggles and we can actually end up, you know, believing things about God that aren't true simply because we're, we're basing our view of him on our own experiences, you know, but let's say, your father was absent and he wasn't there for you. So you begin to attribute to God, these characteristics of your father, God is distant. He's absent. He doesn't care about me personally. That's an example of how we kind of translate our experiences onto God. And then, you know, we are upset at him sometimes for things that he actually didn't do or didn't say, or didn't say about himself. And so that's why the Bible is so important is because it actually takes our assumptions about God and it reframes them to what God has outlined about himself. You know, I think we also tend to read the Bible in a very surface way. So we read the Old Testament and we're like, God looks angry here, but he seems nice in the New Testament. So I'm just going to assume that there's like two different gods here. Jesus is redeeming God's character in the Old Testament or something, but that's not true because Jesus is the same God as the God in the Old Testament, they're one. And so we have to understand the God of the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus and vice versa. We can't separate them out. And so we have to let the Bible dictate who we know God to be. So we understand him well, and that in turn will help us understand ourselves well. Mm -hmm. 
That is so good. You know, I'm not sure who said it, but they said, you know, the Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. And so he's there in all of it. One of the things that you share is that, you know, it is important to really learn about all of God and to not leave any part of him out, including the Holy Spirit. It's important to have, you know, this accurate picture of who he is. How would you recommend someone, you know, seek to learn more about the Holy Spirit, especially if they come from a background like I did when I was growing up, that he was rarely ever mentioned. And when he was, it was, you know, very glossed over, you know, very quick and and kind of moved on. Yeah. I think there's a lot of Christians who have that experience. They either have the experience where he was completely ignored or they have an experience often in the charismatic churches where he's sensationalized. So in either case, you actually end up with a very weak theology of the Holy Spirit and how he works because he either doesn't do anything or he only does these really big things and he isn't a daily presence with you, helping you to become more like Christ which is his primary role that we see in scripture. He has many, but when someone wants to know about the Holy spirit, obviously there are books I could recommend, but I think one of the best ways to understand who he is, is to just read John 14 through 16 and start there. And then look at in the rest of the new Testament, where we see the gifts of the spirit and the spiritual gifts of the church, like how do those function? What do they do? How do we bless other people this way? But starting in John 14 through 16, you see what the intent of the spirit was. And what's wild is that Jesus actually said that it would be better if he went away so that we would have the spirit, which sounds so bizarre to us. We're like, what could be better than Jesus? And Jesus himself said the spirit, (laughs) his presence with us. Um, because he makes us like him. He comforts us. He talks to us. He speaks to us. He leaves us, you know, all of these, which, and I know we're going to talk about this a little later in, in this episode, but which is why when Christians don't talk about the Holy spirit, it makes perfect sense why people leave the church for the new age, because Christianity without the Holy spirit is powerless and boring and doesn't accomplish anything. And so people end up seeking a spiritual replacement because we've removed the spiritual from a spiritual faith. (laughs) It's so crazy when you think about it, but it is, it's what we've done. We've made it so safe that people go over to other frameworks to find the spiritual connection they're looking for. Mm. My goodness, that is a reason if there ever was one to begin to search to know the Holy Spirit, to begin to recognize who he is and how he dwells with us. I appreciate how you just shared all of that with us. It is definitely blessed me. And, you know, as we just go there, let's just go there. There are so many different ideas, so many different people who claim that they are Christian teachers, so many different people who are writing, quote unquote, Christian books. 
what kinds of guidelines should we look for when we are studying extra biblical sources? You know, I was talking with a cousin just last night and we were searching the scriptures because he had some questions. And at the end of our conversation, he shared, you know, I appreciate the help because I've been reading so much and mm, there is some stuff out there and it, it just confused me. What kinds of guidelines do you have that we can just prepare to follow to help us find trusted sources that may help to lead us into even deeper truth in the word of God? Ugh, it's, it is, it's crazy out there. Okay. <laughs> I mean, and I think part of the problem is, is that we have books coming out that are labeled Christian by a publisher, right? But they're actually self-help or they're actually, you know, spiritualism, new age. They're not actually Christian, but maybe they mention Jesus or they talk about following Jesus. And so they get put into this Christian label and, and it can be in some senses a marketing ploy because the Christian market is this huge industry. And a lot of Christians are very vulnerable and easy to deceive because they aren't studying their Bibles for themselves. So you end up putting books in this market that people are like, wow, okay, I can trust this. It says it's a Christian book. I'll read it. And then it, it, it deceives them. And that's, that's heartbreaking, yeah. but what that means is if we can't change the system at this point, we have to train the people so that they can see through what's happening. And when they're reading a book, they have that red flag to go, like your cousin said, I don't know what to think. Like, this is, this is weird. I don't, I'm, I'm unsure. Is this true? Is this not true? So obviously the biggest help is going to be training people how to study the word of God and being in the word of God regularly, because the spirit of God will speak through, through the word, but he will also bring it to mind as you are reading material that is, or is not true. He will, he will remind you, he'll give you that red flag, but say you have somebody who's like, I've never even read the Bible before. So I'm over here reading these books and they're in the, in process. What I usually tell them is that there are certain core truths of Christianity that are essential and those cannot be compromised in a book still call itself Christian. So when we look at first Corinthians, we see an outline of the gospel that will include this desperate sin and separation of humanity. <laughs> that right there. <laughs> Don't take a lot of these books off the market. Um, the need for reconciliation Christ as the reconciler, right? And he came, he ministered, lived a perfect life, died and was resurrected so that we, by putting faith in him, are justified before God, united to God, and can continually become more holy as we walk with him and eventually be glorified with him in eternity. I'm pretty sure I'm leaving a couple things out. But those are some of the essentials that we have to have in order to call a book a Christian book, like those have to be embraced for a book to be a Christian book. So if someone's reading and they're saying, you know what, you're not sinful. Like an example of this would be Glennon Doyle's books, um, where she would say, 
she says that what happened in, in the Garden of Eden when Eve took the fruit is, you know, an example of how women are oppressed and blamed for, for everything. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not what was happening, you know. It wasn't until Adam participated that we had, you know, the fall. So, <laughs> you know, so it's things like that. There's a little edge there where you're going, okay, this is a twist on scripture in the name of a Christian book that's marketed as a, a Christian or spiritual book. Um, does it align with the fundamentals of the gospel? And that means being in the word enough to know that. And yeah, the Bible isn't always as exciting as reading a devotional book or the latest popular book, but at least it won't trick you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My goodness, I am so thankful for the Holy Spirit and how he does lead us into all truth and righteousness. But we have to be strong enough to obey his unction when he tells us to put that book down. And we need to pick up our Bibles. There's all the more reason to get into them. And I love it. I love the Bible. I think it's the most fascinating book of all. So if y'all need, if y'all need some scriptures, you know, I got you. I got you. <laughs> what you do. Oh my goodness. You know, Felicia, I have heard you talk about sin and, you know, holiness and love. And I want to ask if you can speak to the intersection of love and holiness, because it is something that we can sometimes feel timid to speak about, especially in this society when everybody's like, oh, you know, I I just love everybody and, you know, nothing's wrong with the world and all of that. How can we present an accurate picture of what we have experienced as humankind without, you know, leaving out the beauty and the grace that God offers. Well, you know, there's that saying, there can be no good news if there's no bad news. (laughs) Come on, talk about it. If you don't have, if if there's nothing wrong with the world, there's no need for a savior. And I think anybody who looks at the world will tell you, obviously, there are things wrong with the world. The same people who want everyone to be loved are doing that because they see something wrong with the world. They see that people are experiencing being unloved, right? And they want to fix that. But if you want to fix that, you have to address the underlying cause of why so many people in the world are being unloved or why they are neglected or abused, what is causing that? They think they can just love people out of it, but we've found that that hasn't worked. You know, we've been in this experiment of trying to increase our love as a society, and yet people are still murdering and people are still cheating on their spouses and and people are still doing things that are, are, are evil and hurtful to people. So what is the, the issue? Like, how do we How do we get rid of that underlying motivation? And that's where the conversation about holiness comes into play. You want love without holiness, and that isn't possible. Because if you have somebody who you're like, I I just want to love them, but they're actively hurting another person, our society would say you should stop hurting them, right? You're causing suffering to another person. But you have no basis for that if you have no grid of holiness, if you have no right or wrong, which is what our society is trying to do. Um, I've heard someone say that trying to do this is like trying to bake bread without grain. 
you're, mm. you're trying to like, I want love, but I don't want any definition for love and I don't want any right or wrong. Um, so love therefore has no definition. And I also can't tell you that anything you're doing is wrong. So you can actually go out and be unloving to other people and I can't say anything about it. So it's just a circle, you know, it doesn't lead to anywhere fruitful. And that leads us then as Christians to have to say, look, the Christian ethic really is good for society. It really is because it leads us to a love that's trustworthy. I don't love that cheats or betrays or tricks you, but a love that says, look, I know this is uncomfortable for you to understand, but what you're doing or what he's doing to you or whatever it is, that is wrong. And that's why God's holiness is so important because his holiness guarantees that his love will never change. His Mm. holiness guarantees that his love is actually good. His holiness guarantees that his love will never go away. If God was only love and no holiness, he'd be like the Greek mythology gods. You're always sleeping with people and, you know, turning people into white cows and all this stuff, you know, you can't, you can't trust them. But if God was all holiness and no love, as some Christians kind of present, then we're not safe in his affection. We're not safe to be with him. We're not able to trust him. And that's why God's holiness and love aren't on a spectrum with one on one end and one on the other. It's like two sides of a coin Mm -hmm. that can't have the one side without the other. And our society tries. And then some Christians try, you know, to cut the love out because they feel like it's too sappy or too compromising, but you can't cut it out because God is love. (laughs) But I did hear one, one apologist say, and I thought this was really well said, God is love, but love is not God. It's not. It's not like a vice versa thing. God is the essence of love, but love itself is not God. And that's what our society is trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) I just want to take a pause there, y'all, because God's holiness is so beautiful. My goodness. What would we do without it? What would we do without his all-encompassing faithfulness that it embodies? My goodness. I want to just ask you, Felicia, how on earth are you doing all the things, okay? You are, you know, teaching, sharing the word. You are writing. You are producing online content. You are homeschooling your children. <laughs> You're being a wife to your husband. How are you doing this? What advice do you have to someone <laughs> who is just getting started? Sis, it is time for you to start communicating confidently about God's truth. And I am here to help you do that. Whether you want to begin launching your own podcast or you want to recognize your areas of strength and the opportunities of growth you have, you can find a variety of resources in the show notes below as well as at liveduly.com. It's there that you can access the seven podcasting essentials that I cannot do without, as well as the confidence quiz that I've prepared just for you. Now, go be great. Well, I will say first that with what I'm doing now, I do have a team. So I want to be sure that's clear. You know, we have a a creative director. I have an executive assistant, an assistant marketer. We have an editor, you know, so we have people now helping me, you know, 
do what we do. But yes, there's still a lot to be done between homeschooling and writing content and social media and, you know, releasing new products. I will say that I, I think I've really had to work on my theology of productivity and my theology of time and seeing success, not as more or even reaching more people, right. Mm -hmm. But reaching the people we have well. So I could be very surface with a lot of people that could know about us and about my ministry, but if they're not being discipled effectively, as far as I can do that online, then it's really not worth doing. Right. So we're really concentrating on deeper rather than broader, but in my daily life as the, you know, trying to be with my family, I do a lot of time blocking, practically speaking, a lot of time blocking. So like morning from six to eight is workout Bible time, breakfast with the kids from eight to 10 is chores and read alouds from 10 to 12 is homeschooling. And then from one to four, you can hear my kids in the background. I think so. <laughs> we love it. We love it. Uh, one to four or one to five is when I work and write. And then evenings, we're pretty protective of our evenings. And we, you know, we have time with our family and then once a week have people over small group, things like that. So I think the biggest, the best advice I guess I could give is no matter how unstructured you feel like you are, if you want to effectively prioritize the Lord, your spouse, if you have one, your kids, if you have them, and your community, your healthy friends and accountability, you're going to have to structure yourself. You're going to have to discipline yourself. I don't love that, you know, I've had to say no to spontaneous hangouts or play dates because schooling my kids and, and working on our ministry comes first, but it is what it is, you know, and then you have a separate time to connect with people. You set times for the things that matter. So yeah, it's, it's a wonderful, hard, exciting, good life. And I'm very grateful for it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. As we prepared to close, I wanted to ask if you have any advice for the woman who is, you know, she's starting to step out on faith. She's starting to answer the call that she just feels that the Lord has for her. But she's experiencing some difficulty in her marriage. We are studying integrity this season. And I just want to ask, you know, what would it look like for her to live with integrity in this season? What would it look like for her to pursue that? What would it look like for her to walk through difficulty with her husband as she's trying to navigate ministry? I love that question. I think about that a lot. So I have always been very open online that my husband and I have not had an easy marriage. I think it's really easy to just show pieces online and not tell the whole story or whole picture. And it's hard because you want to protect your marriage and your family. You shouldn't be sharing everything, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think as Christians and Christian leaders, especially, it is important to say, look, I struggle in this area and this is what I'm doing about it. Like this is, this is what, where I'm going with it. This is how we are actively letting the Lord lead us into sanctification in this. And especially for women, strong women <laughs> who often end up in these leadership positions, um, it can be hard 
to um, understand the relationship dynamic in a marriage where you are a a strong woman just flat out but b when you are leading people spiritually so how do you navigate a marriage where you maybe feel like you're more of a spiritual leader than your husband a couple things that i've learned and i'm still learning (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. Uh, first leadership is not defined by i'm on a stage more I write Bible studies. I maybe know my Bible better. Like that's not the definition of leadership. You can have a person, husband, who leads in just a very different way. He may have very different giftings, administrative giftings. He isn't a teacher, you know, he isn't a speaker. He doesn't like talking at small group, but maybe he leads your kids by his example, or he's, you know, he, you see him discipling a guy one-on-one by meeting with him for coffee, that's leadership. And so don't ever like look at your husband and go, oh, he's, you know, so much spiritually weaker or, or, or look at him with contempt because his spiritual life doesn't look exactly like yours. Another little quick factoid, a lot of men don't process information like women. They don't process the Bible like women. They don't look at it like they aren't auditory or reading and writing learners. A lot of times they're often visual or kinesthetic learners. So their way of ingesting scripture is different and we have to respect that. And that will help our marriages. And then the second thing I would just say is if your ministry is causing your marriage to struggle, you have to go back to the drawing board and you have to be willing to set aside whatever it is that's infringing on your relationship to put your relationship first. And in our marriage, what that looks like is we're constantly discussing our schedule. I cut almost all my speaking. I'm only traveling to speak three times this year because it was just too much of a strain. We see a counselor and a marriage coach. One is more a licensed counselor. One is a biblical like coaching counselor to get the two perspectives. And we have community around us and good godly friends that are in our lives And so between those things, it's helped us to continue to prioritize each other, even though it's been a really tough road. Mm -hmm. Y'all, she's speaking to me. (laughs) Super grateful for that. My husband and I are also pretty open that we have had some difficulties. I am very headstrong. And so... (laughs) That was good. That was good. I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for your time today. Can you tell all of the ladies where they can find you, where they can get this book and, you know, just connect with you further? Okay. Yes. All sorts of fun stuff. So on Instagram and Facebook, it's Felicia Masonheimer spelled like Felicia Rashad, who I'm named for. C-H-Y-L-I-C-I-A. We love it. And then for our books, we have a wide variety of ebooks, print books, kids' books on theology and Christian life on FeliciaMasonheimer.com in our shop. And then four times a year, we do shop launches where we have hospitality resources, cute things for your home. We do apparel. We have all sorts of fun stuff to help people go deeper in the word and then disciple other people. And then my podcast is Verity Podcast. And I just do topical episodes that dig deeper into different theological issues. And then of course the book, the new book, 
Every Woman a Theologian comes out February 28th. And we're excited to have that in the world. It has a companion eight-week Bible study too. So we're super stoked about that because it's kind of like neat to have a book with the name of our organization on it that's out in the world. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That is beautiful. Y'all are going to love, love, love connecting with Felicia. She's got so many good things. Before you go, can we ask you a few secrets? (laughs) They're never secrets. The first one is, what do you do to slow down? You did mention that you time block earlier. Is there anything else? Are there any other rhythms that you're incorporating into your schedule or affirmations that you're looking at to help you just slow down? I love that question. So we did an experiment in January as a family. We were finding that, you know, hospitality is important to us, but we were having people over like three, four, five times a week. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. And so we, we thought, you know, this is important to us, but we really need some more margin in our schedule. So Josh and I sat down and we actually designated certain themes to days of the week. So Mondays are like our free night there. You can read, you can go out with a friend and then one parent stays home with the kids. He usually plays a game online with some friends. So I might go out with some girlfriends after the kids are in bed. Tuesdays are small group. Wednesdays are hobby night. So music, painting, drawing, anything like that. Thursdays are our game night, either Josh with his friends or at home. Fridays are hosting night and Saturdays are our family movie night. And then we plan on Sunday evenings. So it sounds like, I don't know, maybe it sounds super structured, but it actually isn't because you can do whatever you want within that theme and having that theme, like, okay, it's Wednesday. What am I, what do I want to do for hobby night? Do I want to, you know, write a story? Do I want to play piano? I'm learning to play violin, whatever it is. We can do that and the kids do it with us. And that has helped just keep our evenings just so restful, but still we have something to look forward to. And it keeps us from overbooking because we're like, well, we can't do anything Wednesday because that's hobby night and that's what we're doing, you know? So that's been a great way to cultivate more margin and rest for us because we're home more, but we still have like an agenda, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does for sure. I love that idea. What would you do? Let's say you've got a day off. The sky is the limit. What are you doing? What's the first thing you're going to oh, go to? Okay. Day off. Sky's the limit. Oh boy. I <laughs> want this like mixture of going out and seeing friends and eating good food, mm-hmm. but also being home. So I'd probably want, want to stay home in the morning and have coffee and read and maybe write a little, probably go for a walk outside. I love going for a walk in the winter. We have tons of snow right now. And then in the afternoon, I'd probably want to do a little shopping and go out with some friends for like dinner and then maybe watch a movie. Like that to me is like the perfect combo of homebody mm-hmm. and people. <laughs> that does sound like a great day. And then lastly, what is bringing a smile to your face these days? Oh, that's a great question. I would have to say we are just in a fun age with our kids. We have three kids, they're seven, five, and two, and they're just so funny in that they're getting their personalities, you know, and they're saying really funny things. <laughs> they have these really interesting like, views of the world. And it's just been so fun. They, they just make me laugh and they're just a joy to be around. 
Love that. My goodness. Thank you so much for your time today, dear friend. Would you pray us out? Yes, absolutely. Father, thank you so much for Liv and for the women who are listening to this podcast. I thank you that they are listening because they want to know you better and they want to grow in their love for you, in their love for the word. I thank you that you are going to answer that prayer and that you always meet us where we are and you reward those who earnestly seek you. You draw near to those who draw near to you. Those are promises that we know that you will not walk away from us when we seek your face, but that you will walk toward us. And that is a wonderful blessing in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. And amen. (sighs) Didn't that conversation just make you want to get into your word? I know I can't wait to just find some time with God to study his word. If this conversation helped you in any way, would you please head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Audible and leave a review? It would truly help others to find this conversation. Now, in between time, I am at Candid Live, and it would be a pleasure to do life with you. I'll talk with you soon. Love you.